Thanks so much for having us. Uh, we traveled all the way from the far off land of Lancaster. I'm not sure if you've heard of it or not. Um, my wife came with me, her grandpa came with me, and we brought like this whole train of our own children. All right, so uh, we have four kids. Uh, my oldest is seven, and my youngest is like, what, like maybe two months. All right, so we have three boys, and we just had our little girl. All right, so my wife is very excited about that. Uh, we're, we're in the middle of this kind of debate. The debate is, uh, we had this baby, and little baby Annie is probably like the easiest baby ever. And we're not sure if it's because we already had three kids and we've been through the war and like nothing else is gonna hurt us, <laughs> or if girls really are that much easier. All right, so if you guys have some feedback for us, give us some cues on what's going on there, that would be helpful, all right? Um, so thanks so much for having us. Um, I am excited to share with you this morning. We're we'll gonna be sharing from Jeremiah 29. So if you want extra credit and you wanna get there before I get there, you can find Jeremiah 29 in your Bibles. Uh, I do encourage you to find it in your Bible or on your phone or something. That way you know I'm not making anything up when I talk about it, all right? Um, but before I jump right into Jeremiah 29, I wanna talk a little bit about a missions trip that I went on back in 2008. Uh, so back in 2008, there was this huge hurricane that hit Galveston Island uh, outside of Houston, Texas. All right, it was like incredible destruction everywhere. Um, and I was like, not sure what I was doing with my life. I just moved home from Florida. I didn't really have a job or a direction. My church put together a young adult group and they're like, hey, let's just go down to Galveston and fix up whatever we can fix up. So I didn't have anything going on. So I was like, yeah, sure. I'll jump in the van, we'll drive to Texas. We'll get the work done, it'll be great. Um, so we drive down there. I remember driving through Galveston Island. There were literally like houses upside down on their roofs. So I guess like the water had lifted them up, flipped them over, like the devastation was crazy. Uh, and most of the people in our group were actually like young guys that had a lot of construction experience. So I grew up building houses. A lot of the people that were in my group uh, grew up building houses. Uh, and we kind of had like this little bit of an attitude, like we're probably the best missions trip group to ever exist, ever. Like we are probably God's gift to Galveston Island. They should probably thank us for even showing up. And so we got to like the base. And at the base, they showed us like this huge list. And this huge list, it was like, like Santa's Christmas list or something. They just like rolled this sucker out. And it was all the addresses and what they needed. All right, and so the guy that was leading the mission was like, hey guys, uh, we wanna welcome you here. This is the list we're working off of. We don't anticipate that you're gonna be able to get the whole list done. I mean, obviously the list was huge. We don't anticipate you're gonna get the whole list done, but please get as much done as possible. Well, we were like God's gift to Galveston. So we're like, yeah, we'll probably just do the whole list. Like, big deal. We'll probably just do all the work because we're the best mission trip group ever, all right? So we literally, like, we would wake up crazy early in the morning. We'd run and get the materials that we needed to fix whatever we needed. We'd drive house to house to house, get as many done as we possibly could, come back super late at night, eat supper, do it all again the next morning. And probably four or five days in, we were, we were doing pretty good. Like, we were making a pretty good pace on the jobs that we were doing. Probably about four or five days in, uh, we had this house that was supposed to get new siding, uh, a little bit of new roofing, uh, new soffit, new fascia. So it's kind of like the, the underside of the roof, kind of like the aluminum that might be under the roof and then the siding. So we get all the materials. We rush out to this place. We start throwing ladders on this house. We're like, man, we are gonna get so much work done today. We just start tearing this house apart. 
So we're tearing like the, the aluminum off. We're tearing the siding off. Uh, and while we're doing the work, this, this conversation kind of starts among us all. Like, man, how did this place get on the list? Like, it actually seems like of all the houses that we've worked on, this is pretty nice. They're like, yeah, oh, whatever, we got a lot to do today. Like, it's on the list, let's, let's get to it. So we keep tearing stuff off. And finally, somebody in the group said something that just made everybody kind of pause. And they're like, hey, um, is everybody sure we're serving in the right spot? We're like, well, who checked the address? Somebody checked the address, right? They're like, well, no, 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 no. Oh, we'll just run to the truck and get the list, make sure it's the right place. Well, it turns out we were not at the right place. Okay? We had, uh, we had knocked on the door. There was nobody home. We were in a rush, so we figured we might as well get the job done. Uh, we were actually actively tearing apart the wrong house. So we had, at this point, had like a lot of siding off the front. Okay, we had had the, the soffit and the fascia off. We're like, oh, shoot. We're serving in the wrong spot. So we had a, a short little debate about it. We're like, well, there's nobody here. Let's just put it all back on. So we literally just put it all back on. All right, so we fixed the house back up and we checked the address and went to the correct house down the street. All right, is that the best practice when you're on a mission trip? Probably not. It's probably not great to tear apart somebody's house and like not even apologize or leave, in, like, leave a note or something, but that's what we did. All right, and I realized something on that trip. We actually were there uh, to help out as many people as we possibly could. We were there to like represent the hands and feet of Jesus, right? We were there to represent the gospel to hurting people so that we could use our gifts and talents to help this community. We quickly got off track of that goal and made it all about us and how quick we could get work done and how tough we were and how much we were gonna knock off of that list. And because of that, we actually didn't meet our mission we actually damaged a house just like the storm had damaged houses. And so I learned a valuable lesson that day that serving in the right spot is pretty important. It's not something you wanna mess up, all right? Because you might actually damage a pretty nice house. So that is actually the question that is in mind in Jeremiah 29. Are we serving in the right spot, all right? So I wanna, I wanna read over this and then I'll give us some context here. So Jeremiah 29, we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then I'm going to give us a little bit of context of what's going on here. So Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 1. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, uh, the queen mother, the court officials, the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Saphon, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar. I should have skipped those verses so I didn't have to mess up all the pronunciations in front of you. This is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. 
Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams, because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and do for you all the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you, and I will bring you home again to your own land. All right, now we're going to we're going to jump back into this, so don't lose your spot, because we're going to look at some certain verses in this passage. Uh, but the question at hand for these folks, okay, this is a real letter written to real people. The question in their minds is, how do we know if we're serving in the right spot? And God answers that pretty quickly, probably like to their disappointment, because they're thinking like, well, we should be serving back home. We're not, we're not meant to be here. And God's like, well, actually, I put you there. And I need you to serve me there. I need you to serve there because that's the right spot. Now, I want to back out of that story and just give you like a quick uh, summary of what God has been doing up until this point. So maybe you've heard some of this. Maybe you haven't. All the way back in Genesis chapter 12, God calls out to this random dude in the field named Abraham. And he says, I'm going to give you a son. Abraham laughs hysterically because he's an old dude. His wife is even older. No offense to his wife. All right, but they're not going to have kids. And God's like, nope, you're going to have a son. And by your son, I'm going to bless many nations. All right, every nation in the world will be blessed by you. And that's insane to Abraham. Okay, Abraham has a son. Actually, he has more than one son. But through his son, Isaac, this line of uh, men, this line of nations starts. All right, so Jacob has sons. Jacob has a bunch of sons. It's Abraham, then Isaac, then Jacob. He has a bunch of sons. They become the nation of Israel. And the job of the nation of Israel is to be God's representation in the world. All right, so literally God is like, man, I need people that can show the world what I am like. So I'm gonna pick you guys. So your job, Israel, is gonna be every time somebody finds you, every time somebody uh, introduces themselves to your people, they are gonna know who I am because you are representing me. Now, if you've been in church for a long time, you know that Israel's not super great at that, all right? And so this cycle starts of like, we're kinda good, we're kinda not good, we're kinda good, we kinda wanna serve other gods, we'll try to be good again, all right? And that goes on for a long time until we get King David. King David unites the kingdom of Israel. And for a little bit, it seems like, man, God has blessed his people. They are really representing him well. God is gonna do something amazing through the kingdom of Israel, all right? Then his son Solomon takes over, and Solomon's kids are a hot mess. And the kingdom of Israel actually splits in half. 
So there's this northern part that becomes Israel that takes up 10 tribes of Israel and this southern half called Judah that's like two tribes of Israel. And this is a big, big, big deal because God's people actually fought themselves. God's people, they had this job of representing what God was like to the world and they were like, nah, we'd actually rather fight each other for power. That seems cool, all right? And so God sends prophets and God's like, hey, through prophets, if you guys don't get this straight, if you do not start living by the mission that I have given you, if you don't start serving me the way that I've asked you to serve me, I'm gonna judge you. I'm gonna remove the blessing that I have given you. You guys are existing in this like special sphere of my blessing because of my special relationship with you. And if you don't follow me, I'm gonna take that away. And all of a sudden the Northern Kingdom, it's actually like in 722 BC, God's like, I've had enough. My blessing is gonna be removed. Assyria comes in, they smash the nation, they carry the people in the Northern Kingdom off into exile. Exile is like, we force you to live somewhere you don't wanna go, all right? And the southern kingdom is like, ha, glad that didn't happen to us because we're the good guys. And God's like, well, actually, you're still not super good. And in about 200 years, he says the same message to them. All right, if you don't represent me the way I've asked you to represent me, you're gonna be judged and you're gonna be carried away into exile. And so Babylon comes in in 586. They actually destroy the temple, like the place where they assume that God lived. They destroy it and they carry the people away into exile. So while they get carried away into exile, like there's some pretty famous Bible characters, real people that got carried away and now live in Babylon, all right? There's this dude named Daniel that's got a thing for lions, all right? He's kind of scared of lions, kind of not scared of lions. That's Daniel, that guy. He got carried away into exile. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the dudes that were in the furnace, all right? They got carried away into exile. The prophet Ezekiel, all right? He saw like the wheel up in the sky. He got carried away into exile. So they got taken from their home and got placed in a new home in Babylon. It's nothing like anything they've ever seen. They are not used to living among people that do not love the Lord, all right? So that's what this letter is. This letter is given to people who have been ripped out of their homes and sent to another city. So it makes sense that they're questioning, are we really supposed to be serving here? Like, shouldn't we go home? Shouldn't we be serving there? And so Jeremiah hears from the Lord in Jerusalem, he writes down this letter, all right? When we read Jeremiah 29, this is a real thing that Jeremiah wrote down. He handed it to a dude that stuck it in a bag that ran to Babylon, and like Daniel opened it up and read it. Ezekiel opened it up and read it, all right? And this was an answer to their questions, all right? So the, guy, the, the, the people in exile are really curious. What, what, what's God want us to do here? What are we supposed to be up to? And here's the answer. Look at verse four. We're gonna look at this piece by piece. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says to all the captives, look at this, all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. So God wants them to know, hey, I did this to you. I take full responsibility for what happened to you. Here's what's really interesting, just about verse four. God is reaching out to the people that he just disciplined because they didn't worship him. So God actually came to a point where he's like, you know what? You're actually not welcome to live in Jerusalem anymore. You're not representing me well enough. I'm sending you out of here. I'm disciplining you. And then he sends them a letter that's like, hey, I still care about you, right? Like God's love for far off people is not a New Testament thing. It's not a thing that like showed up because Jesus changed his mind, all right? We see in Jeremiah 29, God's heart for lost people. 
God literally has been begging with these folks for years to get their, life, get their lives right with God or they would be judged and carried off. Now they've been judged and carried off and God is like, hey, why don't you come back to me? Why don't you start serving me again? Why don't you represent me? All right, it's no surprise that Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son because God is showing the story of the prodigal son in Jeremiah 29. He's saying, hey, my lost kids, my lost kids that have been sent off to a foreign land, I love you. I want you to come home to me. I'm eventually gonna bring you home to me, but not yet. All right, then look, look at what he says. Verse five, imagine, imagine being a real person that just went through this, getting this letter. Verse five, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. Listen to this one. Work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is wild. All right, imagine you have been attacked by like a warring army. They destroyed your city. They killed off parts of your family. They put you on like a train or something and shipped you to some other nation, some other country, far, far away. And God says, hey, yeah, what I need you to do is I need you to actually work really, really hard for the prosperity of those wicked people. Because if those people prosper, if those wicked people are successful, you will be successful. And I need you to pray for your enemies. Does that sound like Jesus? Right? Pray for your enemies. Pray for the people that persecute you. That's not a new thing that shows up in the New Testament. God has always been that way. God tells them in Jeremiah 29, I need you to pray for your enemies. I need you to work so hard to be successful in Babylon that there's no question of who I am to those people. I need you to serve right where I've placed you and I will take care of you. Now, this is like kind of a, a hard concept for me to wrap my head around. Maybe you're feeling that way already because most likely we have not experienced a crazy war situation. We have not been drug away to Shillington to live. All right, I'm guessing. If, if, if that is your story, please let me know. All right, so sometimes it's hard to, to make sense of. So I was thinking about like, how have I seen this um, in my actual life? All right, so I am a youth pastor at Worship Center. Basically means I eat more pizza than any human probably should, okay? Um, one of the really cool things I get to do as a youth pastor at Worship Center is we take a missions trip to Juarez, Mexico every summer. So I've been to Juarez like every year for the past five years, okay? I don't know if you know a lot about Juarez, but I'm betting you've never taken a vacation there, not once, all right, Juarez at one time was the murder capital of the world, all right? There's like incredible amounts of gang and cartel violence in Juarez. It's a tough place, all right? And so I've had the privilege of going there for five years. I met a friend of mine, his name is Lalo. He is the, the missionary that we work with when we're in Juarez. And Lalo, man, this guy is like a bright, shining light of who Jesus is in a pretty dark place. I mean, like literally, every year we promo the trip Hey, high school students, we're going to go to Juarez. I know like that week is going to be like emails from parents. Hey, so I Googled Juarez. Um, can you guarantee the safety of my child? Well, yeah, kind of. <laughs> it's a great trip. <laughs> 
All right, so Lalo is like a bright shining light of who Jesus is in this community. For five years, uh, we've been actually praying about how we can have a deeper impact in a more specific community. Because when we go to Juarez, Juarez is this enormous city. All right, if you ever been there, you understand like how huge it is. Uh, we kind of bounce around, and what we've been hoping to do is like go get to know the same community, like the same people every summer. We've been praying that for a long time. Back in 2020, the horrible year that we shall never speak of again, um, they had the COVID stuff just like we had the COVID stuff. They had the lockdowns just like we had the lockdowns. My friend Lalo was locked down like deep in the city, and they were allowed to drive for like recreation. So he remembered a spot where he used to go when he was a little kid, where there was like a patch of trees, okay? It was right on the border. Like you can see the fence to the United States, like right where these trees are. So he packs up his family and he drives out to Anapra, this community where he lives. As he gets closer to Anapra, uh, this group of four-wheelers start following him. Tourist tip, if you're in Juarez and you get followed by a pack of four-wheelers, that's not good, all right? So he drives to this grove of trees, and these four-wheelers surround his car. It's him, his wife, and his little baby son, uh, like a toddler son. And he says, hey, like if we're going to be safe, I have to get out of the car. I have to talk to these guys. Let them know I'm not here to do anything. Just stay in the car. Do not get out. This is kind of a dangerous situation. All right, he's surrounded by these four-wheelers full of cartel guys. He gets out of the car. When he steps out of the car, the cartel guys go, Lalito! he's like, what? <laughs> right? So it goes from very tense to very confusing. They're like, how do these guys even know who I am? Turns out, Lalo's grandma was one of the only Christian people in this little community called Anapra. And the way that she wanted to represent Christ was to make sure that starving kids got fed. So she started this little Christian food service ministry. Those little kids that she fed food to every day grew up, unfortunately, to be cartel members who surrounded Lalo's car on their four-wheelers and recognized him as soon as they stepped out. This has created an incredible relationship. I know when you talk about cartel partnerships, it's a little bit weird, okay? But this is what has happened in the last two years because of Lalo's faithful grandma. They have asked that we start doing like medical teams in their community. They have asked that we start running VBSs in their community because they think it's good for their kids. We just ran a VBS uh, in an opera this past summer and the head cartel member in that area sent his daughter to learn more about Jesus. Isn't that wild? Isn't that crazy? Yeah, praise God for that, right? But here's, here's what I want you to understand from this. That's what happens when we seek peace and prosperity and well-being for even the godless people around us, right? Lalito's grandma's just handing out sandwiches to little kids. And now we have an incredible, I'm telling you, it's like a highway into this community for the gospel in an area that you cannot do anything unless the cartel says so, all right? So the fact that we're even doing Bible-based story puppets in an opera is only possible because of God, all right? So they're serving in the right spot. It might, it, might seem, it might have seemed like to Lalo's grandma, oh Lord, please get me out of this place. I just need people that are like me, all right? But now more and more and more people's lives are being changed with the gospel because of the work that she did, because she was faithful to the call that God put on her life when she was surrounded by her enemies. Does that make sense? 
It's exactly what um, Jeremiah is, exactly what God is saying to these people through God. I need you to serve Babylon. I need you to do it really, really well. One of the people who read that was Daniel. One of the big parts of Daniel's story is he's like, okay, I'm gonna follow God. I don't care what gets in the way of following God. And Daniel becomes like one of the most influential people in Babylon because he read this passage and he believed it to be true. And he decided, you know what? I'm actually gonna serve right where God's placed me and I'm gonna glorify God because of it. And Daniel gets put in all these, all these wild situations, all right? We're not even done. We got more to go, all right? Uh, let's look at, I'll pick up at verse eight. This is, what the, um, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says. Don't let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Don't listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them. So anybody that was like holding out hope, like, well, maybe this is a trick because I heard this other guy that said, God doesn't really want us to be here. God's like, yeah, don't listen to them, all right? They're, they're just lying to you. I need you to represent me exactly where I put you. I need you to represent me well. It's gonna be about 70 years, all right? Verse 10, this is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon 70 years. I spoiled that, sorry. But then I will come and I will do for you all the good things I promised and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you. You guys know this verse probably. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster to give you a future and a hope. How many of you have seen that verse before? How many of you have it on like a, a poster or a coffee cup or a refrigerator, anybody? Yeah, it's like, it's like one of those coffee cup verses. Uh, I was reading this, this commentary when I was studying this and the guy was talking about how he saw that poster and it was like this peaceful lake with like these like snow-capped pine trees all around it, you know, like the perfect hunting spot or perfect fishing spot. I don't know if you guys are into that. But the guy that wrote the commentary was like, you know, it's, it's kind of bad that we've been like deceived to think that that was like a really peaceful, calming verse. Because if you were the people that heard this verse, what was your life like? What was, what was surrounding the people that heard this verse? For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It wouldn't be off for them to be like, are you sure, God? Because like, there's been a lot of harming going on, right? Daniel's reading this passage. He's been shipped away from his home. He's living in hostile territory. Like it would make sense for him to be like, really, God? Right? And I'm, I'm kind of like Daniel, guys, like, I'm, I'm like that pastor guy that likes to talk about how I'm not good at all this stuff sometimes. All right, I just led a youth retreat. If you, if you wanna know what exile is like, you should lead a youth retreat. That's not true, they're great. Uh, I've been telling people that, uh, so we, we led a seventh to 12th grade retreat last weekend. And what I like to tell people when they say it, how'd the retreat go? I was like, well, 10 out of 12 groups had a blast. The other two groups were the junior and senior girls and they started a war with each other, all right? So listen, I had a horrible weekend because I'm like, I, I'm a guy, okay? I have all boys until like two months ago, all right? So my strong suit is not sitting down with junior and senior girls trying to like work out their problems because I would, I would go up and talk to a girl and be like, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And immediately it was like, ah! I was like, oh, this is not, this is not for me actually. All right, it was, it was kind of rough. So I did not come away from that weekend and be like, for I know the plans he has for me. He's going to prosper me and not harm me. I was like, God, why did you make me do this? Why am I a stinking youth pastor, right? I walk away from that. Two weeks before that, 
we had friends over to our house. We like to have friends over on Tuesday nights. Uh, we do like a cookout kind of thing. It's getting cold, so now we do a cooking kind of thing. All right, but it was still warm that time. And so about 10 o'clock, we were coming into our house, and everybody comes into the house, and all of a sudden, everyone immediately at the same time starts gagging. And people are like, oh, what does that smell? And the last young adult person to walk into our house is like, oh, it's the dog. She got sprayed by a skunk. She's running around the house. Oh, what? All right. Have you ever had a skunk smell in your house ever? Anybody? It is the most awful thing in the whole world. I mean, aside from probably exile in Babylon. All right. It's horrible. My wife the next morning opened her closet and like skunk smell came out of it. The dog was not even upstairs. She like put on her clothes to walk outside and she smelled like a skunk. All right. And so in that moment, I was not like, I know the plans that he has for me. I know that God is gonna prosper me. I wasn't. I was like, God, why are you doing this to me? Like, I'm like, I'm like literally a pastor. I'm like supposed to be in your good graces, God, come on. All right? So I'm not good at this. Maybe you're not good at that either, okay? What's amazing is Daniel looked at this, all right, and other people, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, they looked at this and they were like, you know what? I'm gonna believe that this is true. I'm gonna decide that I am serving in the right spot. I'm supposed to serve exactly where God has placed me, even though I'm surrounded by literal hostile armies, even though I have seen some of my friends get killed, my family get killed, even though I've been drug away into exile in Babylon, I'm going to believe that what God promised is true. I'm going to choose to believe that God has not intended to harm me, and he has intended to prosper me, all right? Is that still true for us today? Can we believe this passage even when our house is full of skunk smell? Yeah, yeah. Why? Because God has never changed. God's heart for those people is God's heart for our people. He loves us. He wants to prosper us. He wants to help us. He doesn't want to harm us. There are times in our lives where we just have to keep our eyes fixed on him and choose to believe it, even when it doesn't quite make sense. That's what faith is, right? Like we believe that God has a purpose and a plan for us, even when it's like a little bit foggy and a little bit strange, all right? So my question became, as I was looking over this passage, it's like, man, how, how was he able to do that? I mean, because if I literally feel like my world is falling apart because my junior and senior girls were freaking out on the retreat, like, probably I need to make an adjustment, all right? If I feel like my world is crumbling because my wife's clothes smell like skunk, not today, all right? Probably I need to make an adjustment. Probably. So what is it that enabled Daniel to do that? Here's what I think. As I've thought about Daniel, as I've thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? These are guys that if you went to, like, Sunday school when you were a little kid, like, I don't know how many you had, like, flannel graphs. I had the flannel graph deal. Like, those are like flannel graph stars, guys. Like, why were they able to have the faith that they had? It's because they were just like, hey, it's in the Bible, it's true. I heard somebody say that earlier. <laughs> if it's in the Bible, it's okay to believe it, right? So if it's in the Bible, it's okay. We can believe that this is in fact true, all right? So what is it that made Daniel able to do that? One, I think he just believed God's word. It's okay to hear God's word and just believe it even when things around you don't make sense. Two, I think he was actually so grateful to be a child of God that that actually overwhelmed his sense of like 
entitlement or disappointment or frustration. I think Daniel must have lived in like this constant sense of like, wow, the God of the universe wants me to be part of his plan. I wanna do that. I wanna be part of his plan. And the life of Daniel, the life of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the life of Ezekiel, they're full of crazy stories where they chose to be thankful for being God's kids and believe what he said and God acted on their behalf over and over and over again. You know what happened? Tons of people in Babylon, that evil, wicked city, the king of Babylon, the king of that evil, wicked city, they became followers of God. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's what God does. God puts us in weird spots that don't make sense. He says, hey, please trust me. I will take care of you. Be thankful for what I've done in your life. Keep your eyes fixed on me, and I'll do my thing around you. If you stay committed to serving in the right spot, I will move on your behalf. Amen? Come on, Grace Church. Do you like that stuff or not? Yeah, right? Like, God is faithful to us. He will do what he said. All right, this, this has me. I want to go to Romans 8. I promise I'll be done. Sometimes I talk for a long time. Romans 8. This is probably another verse you probably heard a bunch of times. Romans 8, 35. All right, here's what I wanted to do with this passage. <clears throat> I did not want to spend all my time just in those Old Testament, dusty Old Testament days. All right, I want to show us that this concept continues to be true today. All right, this concept is not just for Jeremiah. It's not just for Daniel. It's for you. It's for you serving exactly where you are. All right, here's what uh, Romans 8, 35 says. Can anything, anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute? <laughs> this is a whole list. Or in danger or threatened with death. Doesn't that sound like what those exiles would have been experiencing? Right? That's what Paul was experiencing when he wrote Romans. Right? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. That's intense. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Overwhelming victory. You guys need overwhelming victory this morning? Yeah, right? Right? What we got to do is cling to it and believe it. It's not an Old Testament thing. It's not a New Testament thing. It's a God thing. God loves us. He cares for us. He is committed to giving us overwhelming victory when we serve in the right spot. I know sometimes serving in the right spot does not feel like the right spot. So here's what I had on my, on my heart for today. All right? Because it's, it's, it's kind of weird. Like, I, I don't preach to people I don't know very often. All right? So it's a little bit of a struggle for me because I like to know who I'm talking to. Um, so I don't know what your lives are like. All right, that's probably fair. You're like, yeah, I never met you before. That makes sense. All right? I don't know what your lives are like. I don't know what this church is like. Okay? But one of the big things that was on my heart this week is the message that Grace Church is serving in the right spot. Okay? I, I don't know, like, how that hits you. I don't know how that makes you feel. I know the Holy Spirit revealed to me this week that, like, this is the passage for Grace Church, and Grace Church needs to hear that they are serving in the right spot. All right? You have been given everything you need. God has plans to prosper you and not to harm you. All right? I don't know if that hits you as an individual. Like maybe you got a weird thing at work. Maybe you got a weird thing in your family. Maybe you got a weird thing here at church. I don't know. 
all right? But the message that I know I, I felt from the Spirit this week was like, man, you guys are serving in the right spot, all right? And God has a plan for you to prosper you, to not harm you. There is nothing that will separate you from the love of God if you keep your eyes fixed on him, all right? And man, what a joy it is to be grateful for the relationship that we have with Jesus, right? What a joy it is to be grateful for the God that we serve, the God that loves us, that cares about us, and takes us through whatever difficult circumstance we're in to get us through to the other side where he will restore us, right? That's what happened to these guys. He restored them. They went right back. But not until they changed Babylon and made it a part of God's kingdom. That's amazing, right? Grace Church is placed right here to start creating pieces of God's kingdom. You're already doing it. But God has bigger plans in mind to continue to move the mission of this church to impact the lives that you guys are all connected to. I have no idea what that looks like, but I know it's true and I know it's from the Lord. Amen. All right, so I'm gonna pray for us and I'll turn it over to whoever it gets turned over to. <laughs> God, thank you so much uh, for your word in Jeremiah, Lord. I thank you that you are uh, just revealing to us this morning uh, your, your heart for lost people. Actually, your, your heart for people that have uh, run away or maybe are far off, maybe have missed the mark. God, I'm so thankful that your heart for those people is restoration, that you, you want relationship, you wanna bring back the lost into relationship with you. God, I'm so thankful uh, for this message to, to the church, for every individual in here this morning. Lord, I pray that your spirit would work powerfully in their hearts and their minds and their spirits and their souls to reveal to them what it is this message means exactly to them and in exactly their context. Uh, Lord, I know that you have plans to prosper us and not to harm us. I know that nothing can separate us from your love. And Lord, I just pray that everybody who needs that reminder would receive it this morning that we would be so confident in the fact that you have a plan for us. It's a good plan. We can trust you, God. Make us bold and courageous to serve you in exactly the right spot. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.